everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Rob Murgatroyd Show. Each week, I have conversations with some of the most fascinating people on the planet that can help you live a life of fulfillment. Speaking of fulfillment, if you want to hire me as your coach, head over to robshowcoach.com, fill out an application, and we'll jump on a call to see if we are a good fit to help you create and design your dream life and business. That's robshowcoach.com. Before we get into today's episode, our next Work Hard, Play Hard Mastermind event will be in Dubai and Abu Dhabi for the F1 race on November 16th to the 19th. So look, these trips are designed to get you out of your day-to-day, around some amazing entrepreneurs and provide bucket list experiences that will have you coming home re-energized to grow your business and bring your life to a whole new level. Head over to workhardplayhardexperience.com and fill out an application. All right, let's jump into today's show. I was around a lot of kids that had a lot of wealth. We're talking presidents, sons, and politicians, kids, and they all seemed freaking miserable, you know? Like, like they had every reason to be happy, but they weren't happy. And here I was around my father's congregation, thousands of people, every reason to be unhappy, but were really happy and alive and making the most of life. And so that began a questioning in terms of like, what's this all about? What's the purpose of life? I believe that our dreams choose us because we are the perfect people capable of fulfilling those dreams. And so we think we choose our dreams, I think it's the other way around. And so I said, universe, if this calling is real, show me the way, I'm available, I'm open. Coots Blackson, welcome to the show. Great to be here. So I'm super excited to have you here. And I think if it's okay with you for time, I want to jump right into it because you have an amazing story that I think a lot of people are going to learn from. You come from a country that people have a lot of questions about because they hear all sorts of things in the news. And you're also in the world of surrender. And there's a lot of people now that are struggling (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> with yeah. surrendering. So I think an obvious and, a, and a probably a good jumping off point would be to uh, start you in Ghana. Could you describe what living in Ghana was like, perhaps during your your childhood? Yeah, I, I was, yeah, I was born in Ghana, West Africa. Yeah, my father's from Ghana, my mother's Japanese, but really I grew up in London. And so I was in Ghana from age one to age three. And then I don't remember that much of it, to be honest. Look, my father, my first memories as a young kid was seeing a crippled woman crawling on the floor. She picks up the sand that this man walks on, wipes it on her face and stands up. Uh, the same man who sent she picked up would look at a woman in a wheelchair, uh, a man in a wheelchair and say, hey, why are you in this wheelchair? Stand up and miracles would happen. This was my father. He was considered the miracle man of Africa. He was the spiritual teacher to the president of Ghana, presidents of Ghana, the king of Ghana, and many dignitaries and royalty and presidents from West Africa and Africa as a whole. So by the time I was born, the current president of Ghana, a guy called Ignatius Kutu Achampong, was, he was running the show. This was a devotee of my father. When my father met this guy, he was a young guy in the military. My father looked at him the first time because his mother brought him to my father. And he said, my father said, you're going to be president of Ghana. He laughed and he joked. He couldn't. He said, you're crazy. Sure enough, they had a relationship and my dad would pray for him and bless him. And years later, he became the president of Ghana. So by the time I was born, they were very close. Then... Uh, a military coup happened. A guy called Rawlings came in, took over, killed the president. They were looking for my father because this was the probably the most influential figure in the president's life. My father happened to be in London, just grace, couldn't come back. So he was exiled. And then my mother and I, Japanese woman in the middle of Africa in the 70s, in the 70s, we were kind of smuggled out of Ghana and ended up in London and weren't able to go back for a few years. So I don't remember much of Ghana, but I do know that 
And I sometimes think to myself, what would my life be like and how would it be different had I grown up there till I was 18, you know? Mm. And, and it's just amazing how life has a way of working itself out. I think it was because I ended up in London at, at a young age that took me on a whole different trajectory and understanding of culture and people and, 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 and interconnectivity. And so uh, my me- most of my memories were about growing up in London and South London, Brixton, Peckham, poor parts of London. And um, that's how I grew up. Do you feel more, is it Ghanese? Is it Ghanaian, thank you. Do you feel more Ghanaian or do you feel more Japanese? I feel nothing and everything. Uh, I would say growing up, I probably felt more maybe more connected to Japanese culture simply because my mother was the one that raised me. She was there with me every day. My father was gone eight, 70% of the time. And so, you know, he wasn't around, but I always felt a connection to Ghanaian culture, but I spoke Japanese with my mother. I ate Japanese food. I went to Japan once a year when we could, or every few years. So I really, I felt a very closeness to the Japanese culture just because of connection and proximity. And, but I also, when I would go back to Ghana, maybe when I was seven or eight, when I was finally able to go back, I felt a connection. Uh, I didn't go back for many years because I didn't really have a reason to go back. Um, yeah. Since when my mother passed away, which was four years ago, uh, I started to go back every three months to see my father. And it was really through that process that I felt I reconnected even more deeply with my Ghanaian culture and my Ghanaian roots and the appreciation for the lineage and the rich, incredible heritage and culture and power of the sort of African ancient uh, history that I come your, from. I started to understand it a lot more. Your dad's there now. My, my father's there now. Yeah, he's there now. Absolutely. My father built 300 churches in Ghana, West Africa, hundreds of thousands of followers. And so when I was a young kid, I was given the mandate to take over his ministry uh, at 14. I started speaking at age eight. At 14, my father announces to the congregation, my son's taking over. And uh, unbeknownst to me, I was shocked. I was a little taken aback. And I always felt a desire to help people and serve people. And from, from a very young age, I felt an obsession with alleviating people's suffering. I was a very empathic kid. I felt people's pain. I wanted to put people out of their pain. I didn't know how. So I started to ask myself the questions from a very young age. Who am I and what's the purpose of life? And basically, in my father's church in London, there was a lot of folks that didn't have very much, that weren't very educated, but they were so fulfilled, kind, generous, happy. Yet I went to a a prestigious school. I got a scholarship to one of the top schools for free in London. And so I was around a lot of kids that had a lot of wealth. We're talking presidents, sons and politicians, kids. And they all seemed freaking miserable, you know, like like they had every reason to be happy, but they weren't happy. And here I was around my father's congregation, thousands of people, every reason to be unhappy, but were really happy and alive and making the most of life. And so that began a questioning in terms of like, what's this all about? What's the purpose of life? Is it just to wake up, wake up, make money, build, buy a car, buy a house, go on vacation and then die? Like, is that the purpose of life or is there more? And this began a questioning inside of me. I started reading self-help spiritual books from from a very young age. My first spiritual book was uh, Creative Visualization by Shakti Gawain. This is before the law of attraction, right? Before the secret, before Abraham Hicks. This was like old school, OG, original metaphysics. And so that opened my eyes. And then luckily for me, even though I wasn't close to my father, On his bookshelf, there were thousands of spiritual books. My father, even though he had churches, he was very spiritual, very mystical in nature, very into meditation. He went to India. And so there were all these Eastern mystical mysticism books, Krishnamurti and uh, Osho and all the Ramana Maharishi and Maharishi Meshyogi. And then then there were the Western psychology, sort of Wayne Dyer, Louise Hay, Marion Williamson. So I grew up with these books and I would go, AJ, to the bookshelf, read these books. And, 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 and I became obsessed with these books. I'd go to school, come home, do my homework, read for three, four hours, go to school, come on the weekends, read the entire day. And so this was my passion. This was my, this what, what made me feel alive. 
and 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 uh, I just just loved it. And so I wanted to go into this field, and I didn't know what that looked like. And so when my father announced the congregation at age fourteen, my son is taking over. My heart sank because I knew that this was not my path. I knew that this was not my trajectory. This was not my destiny. But I was too afraid to tell my father. I don't want to do this. My fear was if I spoke my truth to my father, if I dared to be who I am, then I would be outcast. I'd be alone. I'd lose the relationship. And I said nothing for four years. And for 14 to 18, I went through a tremendous soul-searching, tremendous conflict, tremendous uh, kind of part-time depression, sadness, frustration, because I felt conflicted and torn. On one hand... My entire life was set out for me. You know, my entire life was completely carved. The pressures of hundreds of thousands of people, great opportunity for many. I looked into my future and I saw that I could follow the expected path for my life, take over my father's church, take it to the next level. I was set in a certain way, but age 20, age 30, age 40, as I projected, I saw that if I succeeded by everyone else's standards, but I didn't have myself, I didn't have my own soul, I didn't have my own being, what kind of success is that, you know? And I think you cannot be truly fulfilled and happy living someone else's life. You cannot be truly fulfilled and happy being someone that you're not. And so I felt that pain in my heart. And then I felt this calling to come to America. I wanted to come to America and come to Los Angeles and go into self-help and teach and give seminars and that whole thing. At that time, I started reading Marianne Williamson, Chopra, Tony Robbins. And so I started to get a vision for, oh, there's a different way. I don't have to do it through some religion or the church. Yet I had no idea how to make this other path happen. But I really believe that when you follow your soul, when you follow your deepest truth, you will always end up in the right place, even if you don't know how, and even if the route that you take isn't what you expect. And so my life really began when I decided to tell my father how I felt. I decided to confront my father and tell him that I was no longer taking over his ministry. Uh, We didn't speak for two years, but that was the hardest thing, decision I had to make in my life, at least for sure, until that moment, broke my heart tremendously because I knew I was breaking my father's heart, who I loved deeply, even I wasn't close to. And that took me on a whole new path. I ended up winning a green card in the lottery, a green card lottery, came to the US, two suitcases, $800, you know, one in the country, one suitcase full of clothes, one suitcase full of personal development books, showed up in Los Angeles, Venice Beach. And that began my, my life. So I want to dig into a few areas with your dad because I'm I'm interested in your evolution being sure. raised in that environment. So Please. your your dad was in a ministry. Yep. And you went down, you know, I'm going to call it more of a spiritual path. I don't know what else to call it. You know, like yeah. that's that's sort of like metaphysical Marianne Williamson, that, that sort of world sure. Mic, mixed in with a little Tony Robbins, right? You mentioned earlier that your dad, I think, was doing healing. That's where the sand came in and all that kind of stuff. What was it about your dad that was allowing people in a wheelchair to walk? Uh, People who couldn't see to see, people who couldn't hear. Like knowing what you know now as an adult and sort of being in this space in some ways yourself, what do you think was the magic juju that your dad had? A couple of things. Uh, When I was in my 20s, I finally sat down with my father and had a conversation and asked him, you know, how do you do these miracles? Because at that point, I came to the US and there were all these healing modalities. There's this healing, Reiki, that healing. You got to do this. You got to do that. You got to move this that way. No, the chakra moves that way. I mean, it gets so complicated, you know, and pranic healing, this healing, that healing, Akashic healing. And, but I grew up, with freaking miracles. You know, this wasn't on YouTube. This was me seeing it every day. And I thought it was normal, to be honest. I thought everyone's life was like this until I found out it wasn't. And so I asked my father, how do you do these healings? What's the technique? Is there, a, like, what's the secret? Yeah. You know, and here's what he told me. And I thought it was actually very real, very honest, and very humble. 
And I think we've complicated things in so many ways in our Western culture. And spirituality has been hijacked by the ego and the need to be the doer rather than truly surrendering. And when I spoke to my father and he said, I don't do the miracles. I have nothing to do with the miracles. I just, number one, get myself out of the way. I don't do the healing. The healing has nothing to do with me. I get myself out of the way. And all I do is I simply see the perfection, the wholeness, the completeness in someone. I just see them as whole, perfect, and complete. They are a child of the infinite. They are a child of God. They are they're born in the image and likeness of the divine. I just see that. And because I see that and the other person is willing to see that with me, the healing happens. He goes, in fact, I don't see, this was a key to me. He said, I don't see sick people. People aren't sick to me. I just see perfect, perfection. And in that, God does the healing. And, and, and so really what I got was a deep understanding of humility, that he is not the healer, he is not the doer. I think today a lot of people want to be the great healer and they, we get them, they get themselves in the way. But I think there is an intelligence inside of us, an innate intelligence that knows what to do and how to heal if we're willing to get out of the way. And so I saw this time and time again. You know, as a kid, I... I my father would look at someone in crutches and just, boom, throw your crutches away. But I haven't walked in 10 Throw them. Do you, do you believe? And I think there's something where my father's gift was his profound belief in the universe. He had such an unwavering belief in, you know, he told me this. Because when, he started healing when he was 15. Okay, he... He had, a, he had a conversion in the middle of the street, kind of like you hear in the biblical times. And he said, look, could I wasn't that educated. So I read in the Bible, Jesus said in the Bible, the things that I do, you can do these things and more. Okay. And so my father said, well, if it was good enough for Jesus to say that, he didn't say I'm Jesus and I'm the great healer and you can't do this. Jesus said in the Bible, the things I do, you can do these things and more. And so my father said, I just believed it. I believed it. And with no training, I just started, I started putting my hands on people and people started getting healed. So my father had a profound belief and trust in life, in the universe, in the intelligence. That belief, I believe, when someone is able to, to, to align with that belief. Let's say someone who's sick, they can align with that belief. I would believe that point of contact and reference and possibility that my father invited them into when they could step into that, their reality shifted, their body shifted, the, the molecular structure shifted in their body. And so that's what I saw happen over and over again. So my father's belief, even to this day, is unwavering. Un like it is like now let me tell you on a human level that's not always easy to be around because as a son you know when you go to your dad and say dad i'm not feeling so good it's like you know he's this is a guy who's looking at someone who's in a wheelchair saying stand up so your little emotions and you know petty feelings like what the hell is that you know and so on a human level it's very hard to connect with my father especially as a kid, because he didn't have very much, he was living in such a transcendental state that he wasn't really in a human, uh, compassionate human understanding, you know? And, and so that was the, the challenge and the blessing at the same time. My mother, on the other hand, was the human one. Hey, it's Rob. I wanna jump in and take a quick second to say you gotta get a coach. It just makes a difference. A coach can offer you perspective and accelerate your goals so much faster. If you wanna work with me, head over to robshowcoach.com, fill out an application and we'll jump on a call. All right, let's get back to the show. Well, it's interesting to me because you, you had mentioned how difficult it was for him to accept that you did not want this path. So in some ways it was difficult. He got closer to humanity, I suppose, when yeah. his son was not following his path. He was not, he was not quite able to see the beauty inside of you in that moment. 
because he was a he was a dad. He was a dad that had a you know a different path for his kid, and it probably pissed him off. You know, as a broke result, his heart. yeah, broke his heart. Broke, broke his heart for sure. Do you believe this is this is two believes in one sentence? But do you believe that your belief is what it is today because of the conscious and unconscious training you had being around them? Um, I would say that yes, to osmosis, I I received a lot of his belief. And through osmosis, it was a huge blessing to experience that because a lot of my belief comes through his example, for sure. And, and also living that in my life over and over again, jumping, out of, jumping off of the cliff with no net and trusting my own soul's guidance coming to America. Having, having no idea how the hell I'm going to get to America. No college degree, no money, no support from my dad or anyone else. What the hell, how the hell do you come to America other than legally? But I felt it, for instance, as an example, I felt it so strongly. And I said one day, I said a prayer. This is after I spoke to my father. I said, to him, I'm sitting there on the couch crying, going, God, I feel this calling. Universe, I feel this calling, but I have no way to get there. If what I feel is real, you have to show me a way. I believe that our dreams choose us because we are the perfect people capable of fulfilling those dreams. And so we think we choose our dreams. I think it's the other way around. And so I said, universe, if this calling is real, show me the way. I'm available. I'm open. And literally the next day, I'm in the library of my school and someone walks up to me and says, hey, you should read this article in this magazine, The Economist. Now, I never read The Economist, but I look at The Economist and I, I feel the thing that I sometimes feel often, like something's happening here. I scroll through the, the magazine. I look at the back. I see this ad. It says the American government's giving away 55,000 green cars in the green card lottery. I felt that thing. I felt chills. I'm like, I'm going to win this thing. I'm, this, like, this is how, I mean, the, realistically, the odds aren't high. But I just felt it. Now when I'm talking about it, I'm looking going, that's pretty crazy. Yet I felt it. I applied. I listened. I applied. Cut a long story short. I had three, there was a three-month window from when, you, when I applied to September the 18th. I was told, unless I hear by September the 18th, move on with your life. You're not going to get a notification that tells you you haven't won. And so every day, <laughs> I would go to the mailbox expecting... Notification, nothing, nothing. I'm getting pissed off. Every day I was visualizing, I was seeing, I think it was Bill Clinton at the time. I was seeing Bill Clinton, you know, welcoming me to the, I was practicing my visualization. I, 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 I drew and cut out a, a, a piece of paper, colored it green, wrote my name on it, like green card, right? Green cards were pink actually, but I, but so, so I'm, I'm practicing all my metaphysical stuff. September the 17th, 18th rolls around, nothing. Now I'm mad. Now I'm like, God, you're screwing with me. September the 18th, I go to the mailbox expecting it. Today's the day, nothing. I go to sleep mad, upset. I made a decision I was going to pack my bags that night and go to the US within a week. Technically, illegally, you know, basically, I was just going to go and see what happened. That yeah. night, my mother picks up the phone. She says, Kurt, there's someone on the other line it's from a law firm from America. Yes, Mr. Blackson. Yes, we, we just got notification today that your application, you've won a green card. I'm freaking out. My mother's freaking. We're all, I'm jumping up like the celebration, like I want a green card. In that moment, I'll never forget. That moment gives me profound faith to this day. Even over the last 20 some years, all the moments where maybe I felt like giving up, I remember that moment. Because that moment when I'm celebrating, I heard this voice that said, why are you so surprised? Did you? You knew you were going to win. Did you doubt? Did you doubt? Did you not believe? You knew. And I just took a deep breath and I said, yeah, I knew. I knew. From that moment, I knew that my life was being guided. From that moment, I knew that so long as I stay true to my soul and my soul's path and the belief in what I really feel, then life would guide me. And so it's moments like that. And I've had so many moments like that, you know, throughout my life that each time just, just reinforce 
the trust and the belief in what I know to be true. You know, so. All right. So now I want to take that story and I want to build on it. You wrote a book called The Magic of uh, Surrender, where you talk about how, you know, putting conditions on your life and, you know, it just wasn't working for you at, at, at certain points in your life. When you think about surrendering or when one thinks about surrendering, they consider the idea of giving up. You know, I'm waving the white flag and I just, I'm surrendering. You know, I'm in COVID right now. I can't do anything. Fuck it. Like, you know, let's just surrender to this, right? I've got, I've got this goal. I want to, you know, I want to, I want to be a millionaire. And so I'm going to surrender. But that's not how you see it. Can you explain what surrender is and maybe even do it through the lens of the story that you just told? Because in some ways I could say, well, it didn't sound to me like you were surrendering to the process. It sounded to me like you were, you were doing, you know, specific things to visualize and have belief and you were proactively involved in that. But maybe you could talk to me about that. Yeah, I mean, look, there's so many misconceptions, I think, about surrender in our culture today. We think that surrender is waving the white flag. We think that surrender is giving up. We think that surrender is not being responsible. We think that surrender is just not taking action. Like, I'm just going to sit on the couch. I'm that's not surrender. That's freaking laziness. You know, that's, there's a difference. And so... Many myths around surrender, that surrender is passive, that surrender is weak if you surrender. And I'm actually saying, no, if you surrender, or that if you surrender, you won't be able to manifest your goals, dreams, and desires. So I'm saying, no, if you surrender, what if you didn't get less, but you got more, more love, more joy, more, basically more than you could imagine with your own mental, limited, conscious minds capacity based on your own ego identity. The ego identity is based in the past, based in conditioning, based in your history, based in your memories. And so anything you create, no matter how good, just with your logical mental understanding is still going to be inside of a paradigm of limitation, inside of a paradigm of what you know, what you currently know. And so surrender, just just to kind of provide a a framework is the willingness to let go of control, the willingness to let go of the control that we think we have, because control is the master addiction, and control is actually, to a degree, an illusion. Like 2020, most of us thought we were in control until 2020 hit, and COVID hit, and then all shit fell apart and went in directions, and we started to realize, maybe I'm not as in control as I thought. And so surrender is the willingness to let go of trying to control every little thing in one's life, the willingness to control the things that we can't control, because when we focus on trying to control the things we can't control, we don't focus on the things that we can control. And there's a difference in that. That's a part of surrender. It's to surrender to controlling what's in your control and focusing on that, because that's going to affect your future. Surrendering is the willingness to stop trying to force and push and, and manipulate life to fit into your limited idea of how you think it should be. And so part of surrender is letting go of who you think you should be based on past and parents and conditioning, letting go of how you think your life should be so that you can be open to what is actually seeking to happen. What is the deepest expression of life that is seeking to actually happen? To me, and then I'll, then I'll frame surrender as you asked, in it, with, with some clues to the story about the green card, you know, just so people can get something uh, concrete and practical. But, but what I want people to understand is surrender is the openness. When you truly take the limits off of life and you're open and available to life, showing you, revealing to you, then you, then you access a dimension of infinite possibilities. Then the magic beyond what you can imagine for yourself can happen. And many times you'll find yourself saying, I didn't even see that happen. I couldn't even imagine. It, it's better than I thought. I couldn't have imagined that outcome for myself because there's no limits. And so the old paradigm and the old, I call it ego-based model of creating and manifesting life, which is what a lot of self-help has been. But I believe that COVID this last year or two is actually a spiritual transformation evolutionary process. We are, we've been put in a 
uh, evolutionary process that is forcing us all as a humanity to surrender. We're being initiated into a new way of living as a humanity. We can like it or not like it, it's happening. Lockdowns, no lockdowns. This is the constant uncertainty. The only way through to stay sane is you surrender. Surrender doesn't mean you don't do your part. Surrender doesn't mean you, you sit on the couch and get fat. Surrender doesn't mean you don't pick up the phone. And no, but we are being initiated into a different way of being, a different way of living. The old paradigm is an ego-based model, which asks the question, what do I want? Me, me, Ku, Rob, Kim, what do I want for my life? Get clarity on your goals, get clear, write them down, focus, you know, intend them, push them, roll them, hustle, make it happen. What I found is you might get everything you thought you wanted to hit a point of dissatisfaction. You might get everything you thought you wanted only to then get what you thought you wanted, then to realize that what you thought you wanted and the goal you were trying to manifest is not what you really wanted. It's just what you thought you wanted based on who you thought you were. And so if we're not in touch with who we really are, then many times our goals, what we're intending to manifest, can be projections of unmet needs from childhood. Dad wasn't around. We were bullied. We felt insecure. We felt unlovable. But if I could just get the Ferrari, get that house, make that money, do that thing, then I'm going to finally be fulfilled and happy and enough. Nothing outside truly can fulfill what's inside unless we're connected to what we are. And so... This whole idea of what do I want? There's a shift in surrender. There's a shift or an expansion in question. The question is no longer just what do I want? Because we don't ask ourselves, well, who is the I? We don't ask ourselves, what is this I? The question then becomes, what is it that is seeking to express through me? What is it that life is seeking to manifest through me? What is that life is seeking to unfold for me? What is the deepest impulse of my being, of my soul, that is seeking to manifest and to allow ourselves to feel the authentic truth of the deepest expression, to own that, to acknowledge that, to align with that? Then we can align our actions, our money, our strategy, our business, our resources on the right wall and take action, 100% full effort based on what's true and what's aligned without getting too attached to the outcome. Part of it is the attachment to the outcome where we're no longer open that limits life. So for let me- uh, Let me jump in with a question because I want to make sure I'm tracking. So I have a vi- you're in Miami now and I have this vision. I, I spent a lot of time there and I have this vision, you know, in South Beach of seeing the Ferraris and the Lamborghinis, you know, <laughs> and having the mojitos and like, you know, going down that, right? The, the, the people who are, you know, the movers and shakers that are, you know, going to the news cafe down there and they're doing business deals and all that stuff, right? Are, are you saying that for those people, who are creating lots of exciting things in their life, companies and buying real estate, et cetera. Yeah. Many of those people are not surrendering. Many of those people are forcing things. They're knocking walls down and they're pushing and pushing and pushing to create things. Are you saying that in order to really work on the listen to the things that are trying to come through that are for you, the things that you're meant to have in order to get those things, you have to surrender to the universe, to the process, to allow the unfolding to come in so that it can hit you and then take action on that as opposed to not surrendering and taking action on the, I want a million dollars. I want a Ferrari. Yeah, exactly. is, that what you're, is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. And look, nothing wrong with a Ferrari. Hey, nothing wrong with a Lamborghini. Nothing wrong with the $10 million. But all I'm saying is it won't make you happy and fulfilled. That's the thing. Sure, it might make you happy and fulfilled for the moment. For the moment. Yeah, wow, new Lamborghini. But after... Four months of driving or a year of driving, you're like, it's just another freaking car. It doesn't bring you the fulfillment. And so I work with so many people that come to me and they're like, I have everything. Here's one of the worst things that can happen to someone. You fulfill 
your desires and you get everything you thought you wanted and then you're still freaking unhappy and there's a hole in your heart. Because at least in the pursuit of that goal, there was the hope of being happy. But now you achieve it and you realize it's great, but I'm not happy inside. I'm not fulfilled inside. I, why don't I feel joy inside? That's why so many people who have everything are not happy, overdose, you know, kill themselves, are depressed, but they have everything. And so nothing wrong with that. But I'm just saying when we really tap into a deeper purpose, a deeper intention, a deeper reality, a deeper sense of meaning in life as to what's what's real, what's true, what's meaningful, why am I really here? Why am I really alive? What am I really here to do? What is my life really about? Then we align with that and then you take action on that. It's like, look, it's like uh, Mandela, okay? Mandela wasn't lazy. He didn't sit around and do nothing. He didn't sit around and wait for life to give him a chance. He went for it, but he was aligned with his deeper vision. He was aligned with a deeper vision than himself. And that vision, in surrendering to that, he had to work 24-7. In surrendering to that, he probably didn't have vacations and days off, but he worked for a vision that was true. Now, the pursuit of that vision probably took him in a direction that he didn't expect. He ended up in prison. Obviously, this is not going to be everyone's path, but he ended up in prison for 27 years. 27 years. Now, we can look at that and go, ah, that's so terrible. That's horrible. That's an injustice. And yeah, it's an injustice. Yeah, it's terrible. But if we step back from a standpoint of surrender and we say, should it have not happened? Because had it not happened, probably we would not have Mandela we have today. We might have something else. He might still be alive, but probably we we won't have the Mandela we have today because part of his journey in surrendering, he he took action. He moved forward. It took him 27 years. It took him into a situation of 27 years in prison. But perhaps that 27 years in prison was the necessary, on a personal level, the necessary uh, spiritual transformational journey that he needed to go on as a human being to develop the mental, emotional, spiritual muscle so that he could be compassionate and visionary and forgiving so that he could cultivate the soul force that when he finally got let out, he spoke, his words had power, but also the universe orchestrating the necessary movement around him to mobilize the world for a cause. And that's, to me, surrender. It's like, he couldn't have strategized, well, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to spend 27 years in prison. The whole world's going to know about the vision of no apartheid. And this is how my life's going to be. That's not a strategy that you can plan. It's beyond him. But he followed his impulse. He followed his direction. He went on that path. He surrendered. And life took him on a journey. And that's why I say part of surrender is don't get attached to how it's going to look. Don't get attached to what you think it's going to look like because sometimes the journey, the the road and route you take may not be what you most expect because from the level of the ego and the level of the mind, and we have to use it, but we should not be used by it. From the level of the ego and the level of the mind, we're not able to see the whole picture. We're not able to see why things are happening. And sometimes when things don't work out or go according to plan, from the level of the the ego or the mind, it can seem like the worst thing. It can seem like, oh my God, the world is falling apart. But, But sometimes when things don't work out, it's grace and it's a blessing. And what looks like the worst thing can actually end up being the best thing. We're just not able to see it right now. So part of surrender is being curious. Get curious, like, wow, this is not going according to plan. What else could this mean? What more amazing thing could be happening? Surrender is that willingness to just to be open, to, uh, to, to making room to allow. You still do. But your doing is, 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 is authentic, is aligned with what's real versus I'm just doing because... Rob is doing it, so I've got to compete with Rob and compete with Koo. And uh, it's not really that meaningful, but I just got to be number one because I got to be number one. I'm not really, not really connected to why I'm doing this. You know, that's the difference. It's like this is why I'm doing it. This is meaningful. It's real. It's true for me, and I'm going to give everything to this this vision that is real and true that I'm guided to express. So, do you stay? Do you hold true 
to the vision and let go of the how? You hold true to the, here's the thing. You don't always need to know how in order to move forward. This is a myth, I think. You've got to know how. I actually feel that a vision that's worthy and a goal that is really powerful and worthy will be one that you quite don't know. You don't quite know how yet. Because if you know exactly how, there's no growth. Goals are evolutionary in nature. So a goal that you're like, wow, this feels true. I, this is what I meant to do. But shit, I don't quite know how I'm going to do that yet. That's a goal. Because that goal forces you to expand yourself beyond yourself. A goal that you could do in your sleep and you know how, there's no growth there. There's no evolution there. You're going to stay exactly the same person. But a goal that you don't know how scares you a little bit. It should be scary. That's a good sign that you're, you're going to be forced to expand outside of your comfort zone. And it will force you to become who you are not yet currently. And it will force you to tap into inner resources that are inside of you that are not yet activated. And so if you follow that goal and you go in that direction to a degree, whether you achieve that goal or you don't achieve that goal, the goal is still a blessing because it forces you to grow, to evolve, to become more. And it's who you become in the process of the pursuit of the goal that is the goal. It's who you become in the process of the pursuit of the goal that is real success. To me, real success is not just that you achieve the goal or you didn't achieve the goal. Real Because you can achieve the goal and still be a failure in that real success is when you learn the lessons, the sole evolutionary lessons for in every situation, then you're growing, then you're evolving so that whether you achieved it or you didn't achieve it, you've grown. That growth, no one can take away from you. At the end of one's life, the end of your life, you can't take that Ferrari with you. And I love Ferraris. You can't take that house with you. And I love beautiful homes. You can't take that, you know, Patek Philippe watch with you. And I love watches. It's all great. Enjoy it. Celebrate all of it. Just don't get attached to it and realize none of it you take with you. But what you take with you is the evolution of your consciousness, the evolution of your own soul, so to speak, and the lives that you, what you take with you is what you leave behind, which is the impact and the lives that you touch. That to me is meaningful. Okay, I wanna jump in for 15 seconds and say, if you're an entrepreneur grinding away and not taking time to experience extraordinary things around the world with other entrepreneurs, you may wanna join us on our next Work Hard, Play Hard Mastermind to Dubai on November 19th. Head over to workhardplayhardexperience.com and fill out an application. When I think about the earlier part of my life, I spent so much time trying to, you know, come up with 10 goals that I wanted to accomplish. And, you know, because I thought they were the good, you know, I, I listened to some Brian Tracy, you know, whatever. And, and it's great. And it's and great. I, went, I love Brian Tracy. He's great, great stuff. But what you're talking about, I'm 55 now, and it's taken me probably until I was 50 to listen to the impulse that's coming mm. through and to act on that impulse. For the person listening now that has a bunch of goals that are very surface, you know, it's like, I want to, you know, uh, I made a hundred thousand this year. I want to make 200,000. I made a million. I want to make 2 million, like those kind of things, but they're not digging into what you're talking about, not digging into what is trying to come through. What is the universe? What is the universe telling me? Where is, what is the impulse that I am ignoring because I got this list of goals here that I want to accomplish. How do you advise somebody to take a beat? Let's just stop, put your goals away for a second, and let's think about what you really want. What are some techniques, meditation, journaling? What is the thing that they can do to listen to what the universe yeah. is telling them? Honestly, simple. You're, 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 in fact, sharing what to do, which is listen. <laughs> Actually, create, and, I, and I'll give a few techniques, but to create spaces 
and time to sit and listen. In our busy culture, got to do stuff, got to be busy, got to be on Facebook, got to on. We're running around so fast that even with technology, we're becoming more disconnected with ourselves. That we're not listening to ourselves. We listen to Fox News, CNN News, Al Jazeera News, ABC, more than we listen to ourselves. And so the first thing is to create the space and the time in our day to be still and listen. The universe, your soul is always speaking. We just don't take time to listen to the clues because we're so busy, distracted, and our attention hijacked by all these different sources. So we have to unplug and listen. That's number one. But we have to be willing to listen without agenda or attachment. Otherwise, we end up just listening to what we want to hear rather than what's really coming through. And the mind and the ego can reinforce anything, rationalize anything, in order to to justify its position. And so... The listening without agenda, the listening without attachment, sometimes the guidance, here's what I want to make clear, doesn't always come with a loud billboard siren bell, like doesn't hit you over the head sometimes. Like, cool, I don't feel the guidance. I don't feel, I don't hear anything. Sometimes the guidance comes as a gentle nudging, as a gentle whisper, a gentle like, huh, curious, huh. That's what we have to pay attention to. So sometimes it can be so quiet. So creating the space, cultivating the space to listen, cultivating the space to listen to your feelings, cultivating the space to listen to the sensations in your body. Sometimes the sensations in your body can guide you like, I just felt, hmm, I felt off. Hmm, I felt, let me lean into that, you know? And it can be so subtle. But when we cultivate that, then we start feeling Where the energy of life, here's one thing I found, where the energy of life is is moving. The reason I moved to Miami, um, a week before I moved to Miami, I had no idea I was moving to Miami. All I felt was a nudge, a nudge. Go visit Miami for two days. When I came to Miami for two days, huh, feel something. But not thinking of moving, not thinking of moving. Come back for a month. Came back for a month, within the first week of coming back for a month, go online, check a space. Went online, checked the space, went to see the space, walked into the space. I need to move here. It was just the nudging led me. So we have to be willing to allow ourselves to be guided. So one of the things that we also get to, as a direct thing, be willing to give up the need to constantly know and understand everything. The mind is constantly needing to understand why is this happening? Why is this not happening? Where is this going? Where is this this not going? What we have to realize is that the mind is limited. The mind is conditioned. The mind is programmed. So the meaning and the level at which we can understand something is going to be based on the level of our consciousness and our conditioning, which is going to be limited. And then we project that meaning of our perceived understanding onto a situation, we're limiting life. So when you can give up the need to know what everything is and what everything means and be willing to live in the openness and the innocence, like, I don't know what this means. I actually don't know what this means. All I know, something is nudging me, if I'm honest, if I'm honest, to go to Miami. People ask me, why? Hey, we all want to be intelligent and smart. Because of the, the real estate, because I have no freaking idea, if I'm honest, other than something's nudging me. So giving up the need to know and just follow the clues. You don't need to know where you're going in order to get to exactly where you need to be. But there's something inside of every single one of us, an intelligence, a consciousness that is not conditioned, that is unconditioned, pure consciousness that knows. Allow it to guide you. And so the part of the shift is, Letting yourself, letting life lead you. And when you become still and listen, you start seeing that life has an energy. It's like the ocean is moving. If you go to the ocean, those surfers, right? You see them on the board, they sit and they wait. They they don't like go to the ocean and go, I'm Laird Hamilton, I'm the great surfer. I'm going to like take a hose with a fire hose. We're going to get 17, you know, fire trucks and we're going to make a way. He sits and he feels for where the wave is going. Then, when he feels the wave, 
He gets on his board, he catches the wave, then he goes into action. To me, now you're working in harmony with, with, with life. One thing that people can do, though, in the listening, I said, don't be attached to what you want to hear. So one of the things that keeps us stuck as human beings from surrendering, from being in the flow, from breaking through to the next level, are all the ways we lie to ourselves. As human beings, we are constantly, consciously or unconsciously, lying to ourselves. We don't tell the truth to ourselves because we're trying to preserve our position, keep ourselves safe, uh, uh, protect our identity, right? And it's survival mechanism. We've been taught to not tell ourselves the truth from childhood. Like, oh, that says, don't cry. Okay, let me suppress that feeling. So we've been conditioned to lie to ourselves. And so I would ask, we stay in relationships that we know is not aligned out of fear out of safety, out of convenience. We work jobs that we hate, that we know this is not the reason I was put on the planet, but we stay because it's all I know how to do and, and how am I going to survive? And so we often compromise our truth and that hurts. So there's questions that people can ask themselves, three questions. Number one, what lies am I telling myself? Really sit with like, what lies am I telling myself? One of, the, one of the most powerful techniques I think we can do, one of the most effective uh, uh, exercises we can do is telling ourselves the truth. Real spirituality, real transformation is telling yourself the real, raw, uncompromising truth, no BS. What lies am I telling myself? The truth will set you free. And if you sit there and you strip yourself of the bullshit, of the lies, of the truth, and you start getting down to the truth, you, your life will begin to transform. Number two, what am I pretending to not know? We pretend. Uh, I don't, you know, Rob, Coon, I, I don't know what my purpose is. I'm not sure. When deep down we know, but we sometimes play a game of confusion and I don't know as a protective smokescreen from having to put ourselves on the line and surrender to what we feel and risk rejection and take action, right? So what am I, what, what am I pretending to not know? The last question is, what is this lie, this non-truth? What is it costing me? What is it costing me? And be willing to feel the cost of the lie. It's painful when we lie to ourselves. It's painful when we live a lie, which is why many of us as human beings, we're in pain. We're taking pills, we're doing drugs, we're doing all sorts of things, we're overeating because we feel pain as a way to numb the pain. We're doing all this shit. We're buying cars, we're doing this, we're buying got shopaholics, work to, to not feel the pain. But what I want people to feel is the pain is a blessing. The pain is a messenger. Pain is a gift showing you where you're not in alignment with your truth. Use pain as an opportunity and as a feedback mechanism to go, oh, where am I aligned? And use it to recalibrate and own the truth and let go of what's not in alignment. I feel like I want to run up and down the aisles now and say, amen. That was really, really good. I mean, you, you, were, cha you were channeling something right there. That was great. Uh, okay. In our uh, remaining couple of minutes, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you some. Uh, we'll do a speed round. I'm gonna ask you some okay, questions, sure. and you can answer uh, as quickly as you like. What would your friends say is your superpower? In moment, when, when when I say I'm your friend, it means something. It's real. So this for me, I have integrity and loyalty. That that's that's as a friend. What keeps you up at night? To be honest, nothing keeps me up at night. I, <laughs> good, it's a great answer. I, no matter what's going up, I go to, uh, you know, good. I, I, I try to focus on what I can control and don't focus on what I can't control. And I really make it a practice to not worry about shit that is not mine to worry about. And so that just leaves me the ability to do what I can where I am. Love it. Uh, do you collect anything or have you ever collected anything? No, I actually haven't. That's a, mm, ah, maybe as a kid, I had some stamps. Stamps. I had stamps too. What do people never ask you, but you wish they did? I actually don't know how to answer that. 
you know i don't know what i actually don't know to be honest yeah in other in other words the reason the 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 point behind the question is everybody's known for something right you know you're known for surrender and you're known for you know all the things we talked yeah, about transformation, today sure. transformation right but you know sometimes what do people never ask you? It's like, I wish they would ask me about, I wish, I wish they would ask me this question, but they never ask me. You know what I mean? It's like, I, I just interviewed, uh, you know, Gabby Reese, you know, you just mentioned her husband a minute ago, the surfer. And uh, when I asked her that question, she was like, I just wish that people would not ask me about modeling. They would not ask me about volleyball. They would not ask me about my husband surfing. I just wish that they would ask me, how am I doing? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? As a human being. Yeah. So, maybe, 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 maybe that might be actually true. Yeah. How are you? Yeah. Just something like that. Uh, What's one yeah. thing you want to get better at? To improve my Japanese. Um, my mother's Japanese and it's very meaningful to me. So I'd love to be able to give speeches and at the level I speak in English in Japanese. I mean, I can speak in Japanese, but you know, to really flow like this uh, in Japanese is another level. Love it. Okay. What is your guilty pleasure? Mm, chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> Last question. We're going we're to change it up a little bit. What one question do you want to ask me? What is your soul guiding you to do? Write a book. But, but scares the shit out of you. Write a book, and he, and and I, I, you didn't ask, you didn't ask why, but I'll but I'll tell you anyway. I moved to Florence three months ago, and um, I just you know wanted a change in my life. And there's magic walking around these you know streets that Dante you know walked in, and you know Michelangelo, and I feel it, and I feel this crazy energy that is just like coming over me. And every interact, not every, but many, many interactions I'm having are deeply moving for me. I don't know if you've ever spent any time in Italy, but you know, these Italians are passionate people and I'm finding myself just journaling these crazy stories about what I'm feeling inside and these interactions that I'm having. And I want to write, you know, I'm at a stage in my life now where I want to, instead of focusing more on business, which is where, you know, no matter what it was for me, I would always just say, okay, well, if I made this much money, I want to make this much. And I just keep pushing business, but not really pushing the other areas of my life, not doubling down on, you know, my marriage, my time with my children, my body, my spirituality, you know, all those other areas that are outside of business. And so, this year, I made a promise to myself that uh, I set a number that I wanted to make. And when I made that number, it was a reasonable number. It was not like crazy, but it was a number that you know allowed me to do everything I wanted to do without obsessing. And it's very interesting because I hit the number pretty early in the year, but I still, even though I made this promise to myself, I still found myself obsessing, wanting to say, how do I grow it? How do I make it bigger? And so I've had to force myself to focus on these other areas of my life because I already hit the financial target I wanted. And so I was going to do that. And then I was like, okay, well, what the fuck do I do with my life? Like, what, like, what am I doing? And it sitting there in the discomfort of that writing started to come and it started to come through me. And I just, I just, and so like, I can't, I'm telling you, man, I, I've never, ever wanted to be an author ever. I can't not do it. It is like, that's, that's how, you know, that's how, you know, there's a lot of people that think they should write books and think they should, you know, put it out there and it's going to be a great marketing tool, but the, no, the way, you know, you're meant to do it is you don't have a choice. I can't not do it. It will be the hardest thing you do possibly, maybe not. But also marketing it will be one of the hardest things. And so if that's not there, it's just a grind. But if it's, it's there, that, that, that calling will move you beyond your own resistances. So just follow that flow, brother. Follow that. I flow. am. 
Dude, I had such a great time talking to you. You really um, you have a special gift and a special energy. So thank you for taking the time to do this. I will make sure we link up to uh, your book and everything that you're up to uh, in the show notes. So thank you again. All right. Thanks for listening. If you love this episode and you know someone that needs some help in either stepping up their work hard game or their play hard game, it would mean the world to me if you shared this podcast with them to help me get this movement out there. So if you like what you heard, head on over to iTunes, take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and I will be forever grateful. So until the next episode, excuses are over. It's time to live. 